I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. In this episode, we're on a downbound train from Luton to Mexico as we look at the ties that bind hungry-hearted Springsteen love letter, Blinded by the Light, and Opus Zero, William Dafoe's art house journey to his father's house. I'm Jake Cunningham, sending you greetings from Soho Square Park W1. In the Pod Street Band, with me is the Clarence Clements of the Cape, Kelly Powell. <laughs> Hello. Uh, the Roy Bitten of Red Hill, Ella Kemp. Hello. And Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Come on, carry on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> introduction. No, that's it. That's, oh, that's, that's, okay. that's the introduction. I got it all there. Got it all the jokes. Okay. In. Figured them all out. Hello. Um, Hello. So we are talking about two very different films. Uh, this week, and we're going to start with Opus Zero, which is uh, not a film that a lot of people would have heard about, uh, but it's going to be on demand this Friday, so we mm-hmm. wanted to take the opportunity to highlight it. Uh, and after that, we're actually going to be talking to Gurinder Chada, the director of Bend It Like Beckham, uh, who has also directed Blinded by the Light, which is out this week as well. Uh, so, Opus Zero, why why should people be excited about this one? Because it's definitely one that's not going to be on a lot of people's radars. You should be excited about this one because uh, it stars Willem Dafoe as a composer named Paul who goes to Mexico where his father has just passed away to sell his father's estate. And while he's there, he becomes obsessed with finding uh, this woman in the town who disappeared. So that's going on. But then you also have a sort of side story of a documentary crew that are in the town to sort of capture typical uh, small town Mexican life. And the film is very philosophical, very intellectual, and poses a lot of questions. Yeah, I, this is uh, very much for the for the slow cinema fans out there. Yeah, and this like for a lot of people who maybe uh, might hear art house and that sets alarm bells ringing. This is exactly the film that will <laughs> set those alarm bells ringing. Yeah. Um, but if you're willing to go with it, uh, then I think it's it could be uh, like one for you for sure. Uh, it's really interestingly divided straight down the middle in mm-hmm. two parts. It's only an 80-minute long film. You've got 40 minutes with Defoe's story yep. um, dealing with his father's death and then 40 minutes with this documentary team and then maybe in the, in the final 10 they overlap. And uh, because it's a short film already and because it's divided down the middle like that, for me, even though it is extremely slow, it also moves quite quickly because of that. I think... 
it 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 felt longer than it was for me, but that's because it's so heavy with its mm. subject matter, mm. and it felt like uh, you know every single conversation is fully charged with like intellectual philosophical musings on everything that's going around it's very dense so dense for an 80 minute film Mm. but in a way that could be really interesting to unpack i think for example if if i were to read the script and then go through that and then tease that out and analyze that really really interesting and also an interesting thing about the script is willem dafoe narrates a lot of it in this voiceover which I think it's something that made it a bit more exciting for me as well, thinking like, oh, well, this is something he's done before mm-hmm. and he has an amazing voice. That's yeah. And if, you, if you want your two-part Willem Dafoe narrated art house films, it's a fantastic year for you with this and Vox Lux. <laughs> like, amazing. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason that, that he's come back for this. And <laughs> yeah, what a treat. Yeah, and it's also not the first time that Dafoe's been in a film about a person called Parker dealing with the death of a loved one. Uh, and so for those who really want to cover all of the Spider-Man bases, <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of Spider-Mans out in the cinema at the moment anyway. This is just another one of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think there's actually a really lot, a lot of cool stuff here. Uh, it looks beautiful. It does look fantastic. Um, yeah. And it immediately reminded me of uh, Carlos Regadas, who directed Silent Light, post-Tenebrous Lux. He's made a film that's just come out. Our uh, Time. Our Time, uh, just last week or the, a week or two ago. And noticed that as I was watching the film, I felt his influence on it. And then it was only afterwards that I realised that uh, the director, Daniel Graham, had actually worked on post-Tenebrous yep. Lux. And, mm. and you can feel that over the film. At times, maybe you think that, he is really drawing on the slow cinema approaches mm. of the people that came before him. But it's in the second half of the film, once a filmmaking team become part of the plot of it, that I think Graham manages to address his own concerns about mm-hmm. making the film and his own anxieties about it. And so, Ellie, you spoke about these kind of big, broad, philosophical, sweeping statements mm. that uh, come throughout the first half. And then talking to a filmmaker, a character says... These things that you filmed, they're just notions anyone could come up with. <laughs> and I felt like that that was him kind of addressing yeah. the stuff yeah. the stuff that people may not connect with. And he discusses or characters, I should say, discuss the idea of ownership of style and who who does take that within a filmmaking sphere. Mm. And it was in this second half that I really connected with it. And I also it's I found it had a bit of a sense of humor and this self-reflection was a lot more engaging for me and that's where it kicked in and also there is an event that happened that really uh, oh god yeah sh- shifts the film and i was very into that as well um yeah so it was a a hard sell for me in that first half mm-hmm. but totally won me over by the end yeah i think for me the really really works with willem dafoe because he's such a weird actor like he's the probably the most intense actor i can think of well you met the man i did meet him and he was very intense <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> told you that the green goblin is not a villain he Basically, yeah, <laughs> I don't play villains. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you do, but I won't say that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, he does bring a lot to this. The film that I think, you know, for me, I, it wasn't fully engaging for me just because it's so intellectual and philosophical and slow. But he brings such a sort of weird charisma and just the, his intonations and the way he says certain words are so like captivating that he makes it really, yeah, engaging and watchable. Yeah, and I think it's one to add to the pile of strange recent Willem Dafoe roles yes. that people should be seeking out. 
uh, I would recommend At Eternity's Gate, Vox yeah. Lux. Yeah. And if you're into the narration, he did a, a film called Mountain a couple mm-hmm. of years back as well. Um, I'd happily just listen to him talking. About and The Lighthouse it. is coming soon as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, very excited about that. Um, but if you are fans of those Ray Gardos films, I've already mentioned yeah. as well. One for you, absolutely. Um, and it's time to uh, move to Blinded by the Light. Uh, this is the new film from Gurinder Chada. Uh, and it's set in 1987, where it is not easy being British Pakistani uh, in a commuter town living through the tatters of Thatcher's Britain. Not something anyone in this room can really (laughs) claim to have any experience uh, of. But uh, salvation has arrived in the unlikely shape of Bruce Springsteen, uh, who ignites a new confidence in the young Javed. Uh, And this is his tale based on a true story by Safraz Mansour, uh, and it's uh, digging deep into the connections between Luton and Ashbury Park and what else may lay beyond that. Uh, and Sam, you were lucky enough to meet Gurinder. Certainly was, yes. She's a bit of a legend in British filmmaking of the past uh, couple of, past few decades. So she really broke out with Bendy Light Beckham, which we all like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that film. Yeah. And she's carried on. That's this sort of, uh, I think for all of her films, there's a kind of thematic link of a a character not from English background growing up in England and kind of being torn in these two cultural directions and how they kind of navigate that. Mm. Gurinder Chada directed the screen adaptation of Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging, which could, which you could also note by the name Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging, if you're more familiar with the novel. I read right. the novel. How, how does it? I haven't read it. How does it compare? I love the novel. The film for me was a bit, mm, but it it did give um, what's his name? Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson. They that film gave. The world, Aaron oh, yeah. <laughs> Taylor Johnson. Lucky I'm very, world. very happy. We were so that. lucky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was also filmed in Eastbourne. Was it? Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, there is a Curzon in the film, which is not a Curzon Curzon, but it's just called Curzon. Oh, isn't that interesting? That, that is. Interesting. is. Yeah. So many reasons to love that film. Yeah, you can imagine the poster for it stayed up at that cinema for quite a while. Um, They're still showing it, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Every Friday. Yeah, the pensioners out. Come on. Um, all right. And what are our expectations going into this? It's uh, it's the fourth in a ever-extending line of British-produced uh, films inspired by the music of popular artists. Yeah. And this, I think, and she says this in the interview, Gurinder, that this is not a jukebox musical. Um, but I think if you like jukebox musicals, you will like this. So a jukebox musical is something like Mamma Mia or Rock of Ages, where they take existing popular songs and use them as songs in a musical. Um, but I think this has more in common with Yesterday that we saw recently, which is about, rather than being about the musicians, it's about the fans of the musician. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and the, and it's not as like high fantasy no. as Rocket Man, mm-hmm. but is rooted mm. in real life, which yesterday is not, not. as well. Kind so it's like it's operating with a little bit of each of them. Yeah, I just just came to me now that um, across the universe is kind of like that. It's not a musical. Have you? Has anybody seen? I've across seen the that. Universe? I thought that was a musical. It's not. It's kind. Of, yeah, it is a musical in in the sense that they sing. They sing the, right. the things, but it is. It's based around like they've they've woven a, a narrative around. around so like Mamma Mia, where they're taking existing, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. The body of work and applied yes. story to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the difference here as well in terms of 
uh, the musical performances is when people sing in this, I very much felt like, oh, I am very aware that you're singing in tune, but you are absolutely not a singer. Yeah. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and yeah, this yeah. film isn't trying to big you up like, oh, this is the breakout moment for this big musical theatre story. No, like, yeah. you're just an average guy who like likes Bruce Springsteen. And I write yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Um, well, speaking of people that like Bruce Springsteen, maybe let's hear from the director herself. We are delighted to be joined by Gurinder Chadha. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, so can you start by telling us about when you first read Safraz's memoir, which inspired the film? Well, uh, Safraz and I had been friends for a long time yeah. because we were, we thought we were the only two Asians who loved Bruce Springsteen in the whole <laughs> of the United Kingdom. So we had bonded over that. And he told me he was going to be writing a memoir. And then he gave me the galleys. And when he was writing in his in his mind, he had hoped that I would see something in it because uh, Bend It Like Beckham had been a big hit at that mm-hmm. point. And so he thought, if anyone can do this, it's, mm-hmm. it's me. So, so he was nervous when he gave me the book, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I know how to turn this into a great movie. We'll, we'll, we'll have to move away from here a bit because mm-hmm. he was really protecting his family in, sure. in the memoir. And so he'd taken all the conflict out and uh with them and and i needed that for a screenplay but i said it doesn't matter about all that unless we've got bruce and bruce's music we don't have anything and so uh lucky for us bruce was coming to london in 2010 okay Okay, so can you talk to us about that meeting then this 2010 fateful meeting so the promise was the documentary on the making of uh darkness on the edge of town right and he was coming to the BFI for the premiere and I got invited and I thought, okay, I need to ditch my husband and I'll take <laughs> Safraz as my plus one. And we both stood on the carpet. Now Safraz was, was well prepared. He had bought a copy of the book with him right. to give to Bruce. And I was standing there with the camera hoping to take pictures of me and Bruce. <laughs> like, a, like a true fan. Yeah. Um, and then a miracle happened because Bruce, as he came down the carpet saw Safraz, whom he recognised from being in the front row of so many of his concerts. And he walked over to us and he said to Safraz, I read your book, man, it's really beautiful. (laughs) And Safraz had a meltdown. He was like, oh my God, when did you read it? How did you read it? You know, Bruce is going, oh, people send me stuff. And, And I was then thinking, this is it. I've got to make the movie deal right now. So I had to seize the moment. I had like a minute to do it. And I just blurted out, Bruce, my name's Gorinda Chadder. I made Bender Like Beckham. And he went, I heard about that movie. And then, you know, I'm so glad you liked the book. We really want to make a film of it, but we can't do it without your support. Mm. Will you support us? And he looked at us both and said, sounds good talk to John <laughs> and behind him was John Landau his yeah. manager and Barbara Carr Tracy Nurse all his team and we exchanged uh, numbers with them I, I spoke to Tracy Nurse at length said what does this mean and she said well he likes the idea you should do something and that was it wow that was the green light for the movie excellent has he seen the film this time last year I took the movie yeah. to New York um, it was my director's cut. He had not asked to see it. Right. But I really needed him to see yeah. it. Because I'd used his life's work in this film, done whatever I wanted. I did 
all the decisions I made were based on whether I thought Bruce would like it or not. You know, okay. so I had made a movie for Bruce. Yeah, made no mistake. That's who I made the movie for. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I went to New York. We sat in a little room, him and his managers, and. I actually had a Bloody Mary actually before the screening. I was a little bit, you know, nervous. And um, he came in, he saw the movie, watched it very intensely, yeah. smiled at a few places and laughed. But at the end, there was absolute silence because the managers didn't want to say anything until he said okay. something. And I was like, okay, well, this hasn't quite gone down the way I was expecting. So I thought, okay, I'll go down, I'll turn the lights on, I'll get my tape and I'll scurry out in case he wants to talk to his people. And as I went down, I turned the lights on and then he came up behind me and then he planted a big kiss <laughs> on my cheek and he put his arms around me and he said, thank you for looking after me so beautifully. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I love it. Don't change a thing, he yeah, said. Yeah, incredible. Um, it was it was a very incredible moment yeah. for me. Gosh. So he's obviously like a major part of Sarfraz's coming of age. Absolutely, he, yes. Uh, did, was he, did he mean that to you? Yes. In your coming of age? Absolutely. I had um, been introduced to him when I was at school. Yeah. And I had a Saturday job working at Harrods in the oh. record department. Okay. And while I was there, this English chap with long hair and a beard said to me, have you heard of Bruce Springsteen? And I said, yes, but I'm not a rocker. Yeah. You know, I was into soul music and reggae and stuff. And this guy said, oh, I think you should listen to him. And um, he opened the album. And on the front of the album, the cover of, of uh, Born to Run is Bruce and Clements, mm. Clarence Clements, his saxophonist. And I thought, oh, my God, here's a white dude and a black dude. <laughs> in the same band and I'd only ever seen that once before with KC and the Sunshine Band so I was like wow this is a bit radical yeah. and that's really what got me interested and then I went back read I went home sorry listened to the album and the saxophone yeah. took me over to the other side right. and I was like wow what a great combination and then <clears throat> what struck me was the lyrics because every song just seems steeped in truth, mm. very truthful and a lot of integrity. And I was like blown away by by that, yeah. you know, like Bruce's sincerity, really. Yeah. And for five decades, that's what he's been doing. Yeah. And then I went to see him live in 1983 at Wembley Arena. Funny enough, I went to the gig with Paul Whitehouse, of all okay. people. <laughs> Very random. Sure. Um, and our mutual friend, Dave Cummings, who wrote Kevin and Perry Go Large, yeah. um, who was, I was at university with, uh, right. with, okay. with uh, Dave Cummings. And, um, <clears throat> and we were all standing on our seats, yeah. going, tramps like us, <laughs> baby, we were born to run. So it was an amazing concert, and I haven't looked back. Yeah. Uh, you wrote the film alongside Safraz then. Yes. What is it like writing a film about someone's life story with that person? Well, I think <clears throat> what was great was Safraz had a lot of detail, yeah. you know, and a lot of very specific detail. Yeah. And that was priceless. Um, and so I mined him, you know, for a lot of mm. that. He was a journalist, he's not a screenplay sure. writer, so he 
So I, I, I had to give him lots of instruction on how to write a screenplay. But then, you know, he had a good go. He did the first uh, first couple of drafts or so. And then and they were full of lots of details. And then I took over with Paul. Because obviously for a screenplay, you need a lot of attention to structure. And, and then I started playing with the lyrics the way I wanted to use mm. them and, and, and make them part of the script. Um, and Safraz was great in terms of, you know, any time I, I needed a lyric for a particular scenario, I'd call him right. and say, here's the scenario, what do you think, which song? And he'd say, give me, give me half an hour, he'd be on a bus or something. And, and then within three minutes, he'd call me back and go, how about this track, side two mm. of this album, you know, what do you think? And then I'd go, yeah, I've thought about that, but I'm, I don't know if it quite hits the mm. spot. And then I go, well, how about this? How about this? So we always had like three tracks ready, yeah. and that was uh, a wonderful uh, resource to have, you know, yeah. making the movie. Well, he's just written a really lovely piece in the Guardian about showing um, the inspiration for was it uh, Reaps Roops in the film. Oh, and okay. Watching it with him for the first time, and what was it like watching it with uh, Safas for the first time? Um, you know what? Well, well, I've he saw rough cuts, obviously. Yeah. But I had put songs in that he didn't know right. I was putting in, and that one of the things that was fantastic, I sat where I was sat. I looked over to where he was sat, and he was like a kid, you know, that got the cream. He was like this, <laughs> and then there were songs that I'd put in that I knew he wasn't expecting, and all he was doing was just mouthing the oh, lyrics. Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I remember that moment. Yeah. They never left him. Yeah. No. Um, so, a huge part of the film is the kind of the political background yeah. about a uh, a non-white teenager growing up in 1980s England. Can you talk about your own experiences growing up in England and how they compared to what we <coughs> see from Javid in the film and how that kind of informed? Well, they were very similar. You know, I grew up in a shop. My mum yeah. and dad had a corner shop, and you never knew who was going to come through the door. Right. You never knew if that was going to be a nice customer or a nasty customer. Yeah. You didn't know if someone was going to be rude to you or not. You know, so it was sort of terrifying now when you go back. You know, I would mm. never put my kids in that situation, yeah. you know. But at that time, I guess it was a necessity, you know, for our parents. And, and people just tolerated it. Mm. I mean, today we wouldn't tolerate it, you know. So... A lot has changed, but yeah, you I mean I knew people all the time when there were NF. There was a big NF march through Lewisham, yeah. and um, shopkeepers that we knew there, um, distance or friends and relatives of ours, had all got beaten up. Mm. So, you know, there were very scary times for us. Yes. Yeah. And is there a sort of sense of not not quite catharsis, but? about putting it on screen and showing what that was like in a way. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the reason the film um, for me is so important is because of the resonance it has for today mm. and and hopefully is a, a beacon, yeah. you know, to say we don't want to, we're not going back to that. Yeah. People take action. Young people particularly get get involved in, in, in the political process mm. because you're the ones that are going to suffer the most you know that's what i hope people will take away yeah, from the film so going back to the music and the film then a little bit more uh there are moments in the film that almost made me think oh this film is a musical 
like the scene um, in the in the market and the Born to Run sequence. So I was very much like, oh, they're really going for a full-on musical of this, but it's not quite all the way through. Can you talk about, was there ever a decision? <clears throat> yes. Maybe I didn't want to make a full-on musical. Yeah. And I also didn't want to make a jukebox yeah. movie. I was going for something different. I wanted to do something unique. Mm-hmm. And it's what I call a quasi-musical. Mm. You know, it's different. But it's got my own kind of brand mm-hmm. on it. And uh, I always wanted the songs when they're sung to come out of a reality. Yeah. But I'm in charge as the filmmaker of heightening it when I want to. And then I bring it back to reality, you know, yeah. when, when I'm ready. Okay. And finally then, this film kind of continues the themes that you've uh, touched on before about yes. a character sort of between two cultures and the kind yes. of negotiating those two worlds. Yes. Can you talk about that being something that you're continuing to explore and if your views around that experience have changed or uh, how you want to shape them differently? Well, I think that's my territory. Right. That's what I'm interested in. And that's where the area that I like to mine for drama because I think there's a lot of drama mm-hmm. there and it and it's unique to my experience mm. so i'm the person who can tell that kind of drama mm. uh with authority and with sincerity and so that's my usp mm. that cultural area um but what i like to do is treat that with a very commercial eye mm-hmm. and make it global make it universal mm. international and that's always my intention is to make our lives as big as possible uh, for, you know, for a big audience. But I think that um, I'm always looking to expand on that just with my own perspective. Mm. So it, it's not necessarily that the characters are between two worlds, but I like to create that world. For example, with Beecham House, my TV mm. series, you know, it's very clearly from a British Indian female perspective most people might not even pick up on that or realise that but there are people who are relating to it because it's that Mm. Uh, even though the characters are not going through those negotiations necessarily so I think you are what you are you know and you make films about what you are and uh, you have to see yourself in every film somehow Mm. and you you know we all choose to see drama you know, in different ways. I mean, the film, another coming of age film that I saw recently that really impressed me was Eighth Grade. Yeah. You know, what a a movie and how the director sort of really got into this girl's life. And I just loved the way she would whisper in company because she couldn't get her voice out. You know, it was just beautiful. I loved it. My other favourite coming of age movie was by, um, was the Swedish film Fucking Amol. Okay. Uh, by Lucas Moodyson. That was yeah. a great movie. Great. Brenda Charter, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Okay, so that was Gurinder Chada. Uh, now, having mentioned uh, Rocketman yesterday, Mamma Mia 2, uh, and some other stuff, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody as well, let's throw that in the mix. Uh, how does this film line up against those? Ella? Well, I think it lines up well in the sense that it has a lot more to offer because I see it as a very successful coming-of-age film about this teenager just like very frustrated with his life, with himself and everything that's going on. And then he finds this musician and that's a vehicle to to find himself. And, and yeah, and, and as you said before, about it's very much about the fans of this musician and I think you do get a sense of that relationship, especially when he you know, spends his money to buy tickets or travel, like, makes these pilgrimages. Um, But I think there's enough... There's more heart in this and much more personality focused on this person um, beyond his obsession with the artist. Um, And, yeah, I think it all works really, really well. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I particularly... I think that she captured that feeling, you know, of being a teenager and then finding an artist that really speaks to you and then you kind of live your life by... Who was by... that for you? <laughs> Go on, say Death Cab for Cutie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't judge me. It's um, all right, mine was The Killers. Oh, that's okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, that's a good I'm the same, probably, yeah. Um, I really like McFly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> No, I just think that uh, I think that she captures that time, that time of, of a teenager's life really well, where you kind of like everything is quite dramatic, mm. um, and it's kind of life or death dramatic. It feels like that to a teenager, and I feel like you know finding this artist and being able to express himself through Bruce Spring- Springsteen's music, um, you know, you can you can you can relate. Yeah, I don't know if I ever had someone who was like, "Here are your feelings on a plate." Uh, <laughs> I, I can't say I ever had that, but that was like. But you really... you curated like a like like you 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 have songs and certain things that you that that remind you of that time. Mm. Like, you're like yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, a soundtrack yeah. to oh, your yeah, teenage life, you know. Like I'm sad. I need this song, otherwise yeah. I will stop living. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we all had a bit where we were in a market and Rob Brydon started singing. Of course. And then it, yeah. people started mm-hmm. joining in. Yeah, yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. We're always doing that. Um, that that's actually a scene in the film. Um, and I think that is the kind of scene that is maybe going to divide some people here because that's where it kind of plows straight into musical territory but mm. kind of presented with like a British village fate twist. Yeah. <laughs> with a malleted Rob Brydon. Yeah. <laughs> but then I think that's something really interesting about Gurinder Chad as a director because it's it seems to me as such a bold choice and one that... Like, the film can be seen as, I think, quite crowd-pleasing and feel-good for just a nice time in the cinema. Mm. But then once you're into it, and she's just so, like, unapologetically cheesy and just goes for it. And I, it seems like she doesn't really care if it's going to alienate some people who are more cynical. And I really, yeah. like, respect that. Yeah, yes. and, and it feels like it's properly... And it, this is a stupid word to use, but handmade. Like it's really been like crafted. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, there is some text on the screen, like lyrics on the screen yeah. in this, and something that yesterday did as well. And I felt it. 
a little more authentic here because they were using projection and so that had to have been shot on set and timed beforehand mm. and choreographed rather See, than like it the being, texture of it and everything yeah, yeah. rather than it being baby driver style yes exactly kind of like, it, yeah rather than being digitally inserted and mm. so it maybe just gave to me a feeling of those lyrics then the dna of them like was there throughout the film mm. it was from from creation to execution yeah i was going to say like i think when i first started seeing the lyrics go across the screen i was like oh, uh, I don't know how I feel about this. And then the market scene came and then you kind of like, you kind of make a decision to like yeah. leap forward and <laughs> yeah. go with it. Yeah. And 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 if you do, it's really enjoyable. I feel like, yeah, she ha- is kind of is like a labor of love and she's she's crafted this from, from a, a place of uh, authenticity that feels cool to be going yeah. along for the ride um, but it's it's not like that feel good throughout um like there's some there's some darker stuff in here and um you've got the like the side of the pakistani family and family tradition that yeah. um we would have little experience with and like learning about them and the troubles that they uh have to struggle with like the the father becomes unemployed but and all of that is quite tough to deal with but beyond that there's there's physical violence towards mm-hmm. them as well yeah and i think that actually is Although there's lots of joy in this film, the standout scene for me is one that removes all of that mm-hmm. and still manages to keep and the Springsteen fact, song in there. Yeah. And there's that one crucial scene, but then there are lots of little moments before then as well. And I feel like in other films that I've seen, you can kind of get a bit of a teaser that there's something darker going on underneath, but it will just be one flash or like one shot of someone else. Whereas Someone here, might just say a racist comment. Yeah, so and it will just happen once. Yeah. Whereas here, it does come back a few times and like peppers it throughout to, you know, show that this was happening throughout the whole period, like all yeah. of those years. Yeah, yeah, it's, really ma- it's a major part of the film. Yeah, it really yeah. contextualizes it, which I think uh, is to its benefit, I think. It makes it a. a, a a deeper film, I think. Uh, yeah. Political stuff going on in the background is, um, yeah, just directly affects their lives, and they don't. It, it, the, the movie never forgets that. Yeah. The, and in that way, it kind of sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Billy Elliot, mm-hmm. in that like, you know, the the the, the political circum mm. and social circumstances of the family, you know, are directly affecting this family and and this guys dreams i think the yeah, the drama of the family is, is genuinely affecting and effective and you know it, it's it's not just background to the music you know it's very they're both very much working in sync with each other and they complement each other very well and i left the film being like yes i love bruce springsteen and i want to listen to all of those songs again but also i felt like I'd really been through something with these characters and felt really satisfied with the story it was telling. Yeah, and if you are going to go through something and feel something with those characters, like it's all down to those performances. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think like your 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 central performances here are key, and like building that family, those friends. I mean, uh, Gulvinder Kier, who plays uh, Malik, who's the dad, mm. uh, I think is terrific. He's like uh, a really interesting performance where for maybe the first almost. 45 50 minutes i thought it was pretty one note here's your like nasty dad strict, strict dad and that, that's yeah. what he's got to do for it but he goes on such a journey yeah, throughout it yeah. um that by the end of it uh he there's just a scene where uh he's not he's not even misty eyed or anything but you just see like a little twitch in his cheek yeah. and you know <laughs> there's something there mm. and like that set me off um, but that's one in a string of great performances. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'd never seen the actor who plays Javed 
um, who is Vivek Kalra. I thought he was unbelievable. Like, he was so good. And again, it comes back to um, Chada's direction in just really getting these committed and all-out performances. Like... I'm always a bit sceptical and curious when there's a new film about uh, like a frustrated teenage boy and I'm like, how are you going to play this differently? What are you going to do? And th- this guy just has permanently knit eyebrows the whole time and his eyes are just so big. And I think, can you keep this up for the whole film? And like, are you going to really go on a journey with it? And he really does. Like, he starts out as really awkward and stifled and I think manages that really well and is like a bit itchy. And then when you see... You think, how are you then going to become this exuberant musical person? And he does it as well. It's just so much energy and just, yeah, it's just such a, I don't know, it feels like he has a lot to do and has just really gone for it as if this was the last role he was ever going to play. But I really, really hope it's not. It's, yeah, so great. Yeah, um, so I would encourage everyone to check out Blinded by the Light, mm-hmm. uh, if only to tick another one from your British musical uh, icon, Top Trumps. Mm. <laughs> uh, and uh, I definitely think if if you fans if you are fans of Bend It Like Beckham, um, this is maybe the most in line to that film. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely great. It feels like a companion piece almost. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or uh, are perfect snogging. <laughs> Teenagers being sad. Yeah. Um, and I, I know listeners will be sick of me mentioning it, um, but Sing Street, I think, yes. is a great, great uh, double bill Definitely. to put with this so one. So good. I love that movie yeah. so much. Um, and Ben Lillard Beckham's still on Curzon Home It is. Cinema. You can, yeah, you can do a double bill yourself. Ben Lillard Beckham is on Curzon Home Cinema, <laughs> as is Opus Zero. And we've also curated a collection of like, Mexican new wave films from the past uh, few months. So, uh Lily Alvarez, the the chambermaid, uh, which is really good, and uh, Carlos Regardas's Our Time is there as well. Absolutely lovely, Kelly. What's happening in the cinemas? So I know this is a bit uh, early to mention, but uh, on Thursday, the twelfth of September, so next month, uh, there will be a live screening of the hilarious, award-winning one-woman show that inspired the BBC's hit TV series Fleabag, written and performed by uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh, who also wrote Killing Eve. Um, and it's directed by Vicky Jones, and the tickets are almost sold out. So please head to curzoncinemas.com uh, slash events to book your tickets. And yeah. I think there's going to be a few encore screenings going to be added. For oh, them. many of those, yeah, but this is the live one. All right, there's okay. one live one, yeah. yeah that, uh, that's screening at all of our cinemas except for Soho. Okay. Uh, today yeah. I noticed that you can buy the script in Waterstones. Mm. Really? Yeah. Uh, which is quite cool. Um, uh, once I've seen this and go to this event, maybe I'll pick that up. Mm-hmm. Maybe you will. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so if you've got any thoughts on Blinded by the Light or Opus Zero, let us know by tweeting Curzon Cinemas on Twitter, or you can let us know directly. Um, we're all on Twitter, but we're also sharing our Letterboxd accounts at the mm. minute. Yep. Uh, so I'm there at Jake H. No, I'm there at Jake Cunningham. I'm there at S underscore Howlett. Very nice. Kelly? I'm Kelly P triple E. And I am Ella Kemp. All right. And if it's your first time listening to the show and you enjoyed it, please do subscribe. Uh, You can do that on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And whilst you're there, if you could leave us a review or a comment, that would be absolutely lovely. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.